Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Illuminate, navigating the unknown through creative leadership. I'm Sarah Hempstead, Principal in Charge and CEO of Schmidt Associates. Committed to positively impacting the quality of life and economic vitality of Indianapolis, Midtown Indy brings people, neighborhood associations, businesses, and cultural organizations together to encourage collaboration that results in a more economically attractive, healthy, and sustainable Midtown region. As a 501c3 organization, Midtown Indy exists to cultivate an equitable, healthy, and sustainable community in which stakeholders of all races, incomes, and ethnicities have access to the resources that they need to thrive. Its efforts are made possible through philanthropic support of area businesses, institutions, charitable foundations, and individual stakeholders. Some of Midtown Indy's initiatives include revitalizing blighted commercial areas, redeveloping vacant or underused commercial and residential properties, community programming to improve the quality of life, long-range planning for development and economic stability, and planned events to celebrate and to showcase the programs that make Midtown neighborhoods true community assets. And here to talk to me about Midtown Indy and his unique approach to community leadership is Executive Director Michael McKillop. Michael, thanks for taking time. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. It's an honor and a privilege. That sounds like a lot of work as I read through everything <laughs> that your very small but mighty staff is uh, accomplishing in Midtown Indy. It, it has felt like a lot, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, well, let's let's start with, um, I know you have a degree in political science from IU. I'm sure all our Hoosiers are celebrating having you on the show today. Um, but you didn't start off in community development, right? You started no. off working with uh, the legislative body, government affairs, uh, then real estate and renovations. Um, it's a really interesting path. And I kind of want to get into that. But let's, let's go back even further to um, community involvement. As a kid, uh, how were you even interested in this? Who encouraged you? Um, as a child, I never imagined doing this work, had no understanding of this work. Uh, I think what I did understand is my, my mother and two of my other parents were nurses and uh, all of the men on my mother's side of the family were in the military. And so there was a strong commitment to serve and to help others. And I think, uh, you know, I was a wayward student. Uh, I was a terrible student. I, I had a, was on academic probation my freshman year of college yes. and almost <laughs> lost my 21st century scholarship. I was uh, uh, sort of uh, forced awake. Uh, and I, that awakening came through uh, political theory, uh, philosophy, constitutional law. And um, my passion became for advocating for others from a, from a policy perspective. That's awesome. I didn't know you were a 21st century scholar. That's pretty interesting, I was among the first, first graduating class of 21st century scholars. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. So let's talk about you graduate, uh, political science, you're going to help others through policy. How yeah. does that lead to real estate and now to community development? It was a very windy path. Um, I spent, I think, seven years at the State House beating my head against the marble and granite walls. Uh, <laughs> went walkabout into construction, but uh, it all really started when I bought a home in Midtown at 33rd and College. It had been a long abandoned home. Uh, met some of the neighbors. They had a need for someone to get involved in the neighborhood association. Uh, I very quickly realized that the challenges facing the neighborhood were more than the neighborhood association could solve. Uh, I got pulled into the um, uh, a long organization called the Maple Road Development Association, uh, very quickly became its president and sort of said, you know, what this corridor needs and what the communities need is really to come together because we're dealing with uh, social and racial disparities. We're dealing with socioeconomic disparities, life expectancy disparities, and we can't solve that as one neighborhood and we can't solve that as one corridor. 
And so uh, the, getting involved in Midtown was really an opportunity to bring all of the stakeholders together to begin to solve that. And I didn't think of myself as a community builder. I still thought of myself as a sort of contractor lobbyist person who understood <laughs> how to build things, you know, foundation, walls, uh, utility infrastructure, walls, roof, that sort of thing, and just sort of began to treat community development in the same way. So you were pivoting a little bit from knowing how to build physical things to building relationships. And that is a, one of the things really interesting about Midtown is, is how diverse the stakeholder group is. So as a, as a newbie to the neighborhood, how did you start doing that? How did you start building relationships with such a disparate group of stakeholders? Well, I think it actually started with the house. You know, the, I was uh, a Caucasian person moving into a predominantly black neighborhood, uh, and there was a lot of anxiety over what I was doing at the house. And was I a, a flipper? Uh, was I just, you know, was I an outsider who was just going to turn this house over, or was I really there? And so I think the relationships uh, that I met with neighbors when they understood this was my home, I was bringing my family here, I cared about them, I cared about their story. Um, it became a very fluid and easy sort of path, one step after the other of expanding those relationships from my own neighborhood to the adjacent neighborhoods, to the institutions, to the businesses. So how did you translate that to your move to, uh, to your new position when you left the presidency, right? And now you're getting hired as the CEO. Um, what did that, what did that look like? Well, it was, uh, I was made part of the search committee for an executive director for a startup organization. Uh, there were actually two organizations partnering. There was Maple Road Development Association, which I was the volunteer president of. And there was Harmony, which was a startup group of former neighborhood presidents and residents who sort of thought there was a need for a, a, a larger organization. And so those two organizations kind of, it wasn't really a merger. Maple Road ceased to exist, but we invested in the proposition of, or the question is, is there a place called Midtown? Is this that place? Um, is there a need for an organization to do this work? And if that were, what does that work look like? Uh, and so serving on that board and, and that search committee of, you know, do, is it time to hire an executive director? Uh, I think I might've got hired cause I was the only one crazy enough to work for an organization <laughs> with no money, uh, no real clear plan. Uh, and I was not afraid of challenges uh, that are undefined. Uh, I like the hard things. Uh, mm -hmm. I lobbied for hard things in Indiana, and uh, I'm really not afraid to sort of tackle those issues that uh, don't really have answers uh, where you have to sort of discover as you go. So that was way back in 2012. Yep. And what were the what were the initial big ideas uh, strategy-wise for the neighborhood? Well, I think uh, the, the goal of the organization was to, to define a, the place that we know as Midtown today. Uh, 10 or 12 years ago, people didn't call it Midtown. Um, what was its history? What were its roots? Uh, could it become a place of employment, a place of identity, a place of connectivity, a place of investment? Because that was an era of, of in, in our community, we were experiencing a second massive exodus of residents. Uh, the first occurred in the 1950s, where our six southern neighborhoods lost 75% of their population uh, post-school uh, desegregation. Um, and then it happened again after the Supreme Court struck down Indiana's property tax structure. And as residents in our more affluent neighborhoods began to make the value proposition that it was cheaper and easier or more financially advantageous to move somewhere else. And so at that time, we were losing residents, 20%. 21% uh, population decline between 2000 and 2010. And so really that the early goals were, uh, what, what can we do to make it a value proposition to stay here? And that was investing in infrastructure, in public spaces, in transportation, um, in uh, coordinating better with the city on how infrastructure is invested, safe routes to schools. Uh, it was helping people understand school choices because at the time, education was a big driver of why people would choose to leave. 
Uh, if they didn't get in a, into an IPS lottery school or couldn't afford a private school, it was let's move to the suburbs. And so really the early phase goals were to slow the, the, the exodus of people from our community um, and to ensure that we, we could be a, sustainable for another hundred years. Right. So 10 years ago, 10 yeah. years ago now, um, and talk mm-hmm. about what initiatives you think have really been effective to do that, to really slow, slow the bleed and then get Midtown to be a neighborhood of choice. Um, and some that you think really still need some work. Well, I think part of it was making uh, early on making people aware of their education choices. We hosted the Midtown Education Summit for a number of years to help people navigate the process. I think IPS has gotten much better and Roll India has gotten better and that's become a thing of the past. But it was really investing in the people and the places that were already there. I think Tarkington Park was one of those strategies of creating a community living room. Um, it's now a $6 million amazing destination park uh, in our community. And I think the organizing and the community working hand in hand when the budget, when bids came in high and the budget fell short, people, residents knocked on doors and helped us close a million dollar gap in, a, in about 12 weeks uh, to keep that, that, that on track. And I think uh, the, the other strategy was really in partnership with Indigo uh, to, to invest in transportation, uh, not just bus rapid transit, but the Indigo forward proposition of increasing bus frequency, um, realigning routes to higher density and, and more reliability. Uh, and I think th- those investments, along with the, the Midtown Economic Council and the Tax Increment Finance District, which uh, was conceptual way back in 2012, but today has now leveraged uh, almost a half a billion dollars in, in mixed use redevelopment of vacant, obsolescent, and underutilized property. And so when things start happening, people start paying attention and people want to know why things are happening and they, and they tend to want to, be, want to be part of it. So where, looking back 10 years ago to now, where do you wish uh, that more progress had been made in the neighborhood? Well, I think um, it was probably that recognition I had in around 2015 or 20, 2016 when the, when the park was finishing and protesters showed up uh, to protest the park. Uh, and I found myself sideways with the community that I thought we had worked really closely with. And it was really a realization that uh, we didn't understand our privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't, you know, holding a traditional community meeting in a church in an evening and where can families really connect to that? Um, and I think people don't often get proactive uh, in, in their neighborhood. They tend to react to things happening. And so I think a part of, uh, of the, the positivity of it all was that the park happened and there were folks who were frustrated uh, and it has led to deeper and deeper relationships. But um, we don't want to make those mistakes and learn from them. We want to avoid them in, from the beginning. Uh, but, but certainly I think it was a powerful moment uh, that, that led people to want to be more involved and to want to be empowered uh, to, to shape their own community. Oh, that's a, that's a great lesson learned. It's, yeah. it's sometimes hard except for in retrospect to yeah. figure out where, where you miss talking to somebody whose voice was really important. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's pivot a little bit to partnerships with, uh, other anchor institutions within your neighborhood, because you have quite, you have quite a few very important organizations to the neighborhood, but also to the state, to the city that are part of your partners, what like the art museum, like Butler university, sure. what's that look like as you coalesce with, with these anchor institutions and uh, bring them together with the neighbors in the community? Well, really the, the uniqueness of the Midtown community, having not only anchor inst- half a dozen anchor institutions, the children's museum, the international school, Newfields, Crown Hill cemetery, 
the state fairgrounds, uh, all of those are, you know, they own 24% of the land that is in the geography we call Midtown. Uh, so they were obviously very important, but I think so too is the richness of the nonprofit community we have, uh, not just that serves our community, but serves the whole state, Girls Inc., the Villages, uh, IYG, Coburn Place, the Martin Luther King Community Center. We have a really robust community that cares for itself. And I think uh, the anchor institutional conversations, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, these were institutions with walls or inside of bubbles. Uh, and the opportunity of thinking of this as a consolidated place really, I think, inspired the leaders of all of those institutions to begin to collaborate and to listen, in part because their own campuses were growing um, and, and they didn't have stronger relationships with the immediately surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, and I think the, the coalition formed in around 2015 and led some pretty spectacular initiatives, uh, down payment and uh, home repair assistance programs with INHP in the chamber. Uh, where institutions incented their employees to, to buy homes in the neighborhood and the employees who live there to repair their homes. Uh, they have been invaluable in uh, reconciling with the engineers that 38th Street is not a highway. Uh, <laughs> it is a road uh, that serves uh, about a dozen neighborhoods and should be treated like a road and not an interstate. Uh, and so th those partnerships have been tremendous and they continue to grow and, and to change. I think we've seen a lot of changes in new fields recently in terms of uh, their, their community engagement. We've seen institutions like new fields and the Children's Museum open their doors to surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, with free memberships, uh, with the Mid-North Promise uh, Scholarship Program. Uh, and so I think what's happened over the, the last decade is really magical to see how institutions who serve our state or our region uh, have begun to recognize and embrace the, the communities that they're located in. Oh, that's awesome. You have a small but mighty staff, right? There are five of you working on four, this. There are four, four now, but for the better until August of this year, there were just two of us. All right, two yeah. of you working to accomplish this. Talk a little bit about working with with your staff and how you keep uh, keep everybody motivated, mission driven, um, working on big problems with ju just a few of you. Well, it's really the. Um, we, we are, as an organization, first and foremost, a convener. And so while we don't have staff, we have many, many partners. Uh, the, those nonprofits we talked about, those anchor institutions, the you know, 20 distinguished, distinct historic neighborhood organizations. And so really our job has been to, 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 to convene and to listen. Uh, and the, the majority of the work is done by others. Um, it's really helping to helping people understand the value proposition of collaborating together. Um, you know, there was a time when every bridge in, in and out of Midtown was was crumbling. And uh, 12 years later, every one of those bridges has been rebuilt, in part because neighbors uh, uh, came together to, to, to prioritize the city's infrastructure, to help the city understand the prioritization of infrastructure. Uh, and so we, as a staff, uh, we are always overwhelmed. We are always uh, underserving because there are, there are uh, I think at last count, 60,000 people call Midtown home, uh, 3 million visitors through institutions. Uh, and so two people couldn't possibly do all of the work. And so uh, we're able to be effective because we focus uh, and, and, and prioritize very specific things. Um, we spent years getting the community to embrace transit. Uh, we had in the transit referendum 70%, the highest in, in Marion County. The Midtown community came out in favor of that. And so, and that's in part because uh, our small staff uses our time wisely to focus on things that will really impact positively the most, the most number of people. When you look, look at the next 10 years, we're talking about the past 10 years, look at the next 10 years. Um, if we were sitting here having that conversation, what are the big initiatives that you hope uh, you and your staff and your partners have accomplished for Midtown? 
Well, I think uh, sort of pivoting from just the convening role to more of an implementation and doing role. Um, we, we started that process with the Parkside Senior Housing Project, where we turned the old uh, United Way headquarters into 60 units of affordable housing, um, recognizing that historically the Midtown community um, does not have a positive uh, hi- history on, on diversity. Uh, the diversity kind of exists in pockets. Um, and, and I think the goal in the future is to see diversity more um, thoroughly uh, blended throughout our communities, increasing affordability in our less affordable neighborhoods. Um, it's, in, it's, it's seeing more XBE business owners, seeing higher utilization. So really focusing on workforce development um, and then helping to complete the vision around transit. Transit was one thing, but transit-oriented development is another. Um, Midtown was cursed with, with unnecessary copious amounts of surface parking lots over the years. Um, and as we densify, now it's really time to, to embrace the utilization of transit and to see that densification to occur on some of those vacant and blighted corners on, on College Avenue and, and on 38th Street. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And of course, the transit network writ large, right? It doesn't, right. the red line alone gets us one place. Right. But we're not done. Well, and we, we are also uh, blessed to be surrounded by greenways, uh, 360 degrees around Midtown <laughs> with the White River Trail and the Monon Trail and the Fall Creek Trail and soon the Nickel Plate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of it is to, to be mindful that these are positive investments that can have negative consequences. Um, and I think those one of the things, if we could go back 10 or 12 years, is to really understand the implications of the actions. Uh, in spur, spurring development, encouraging development, incenting development uh, can cause displacement. And so we're, we're very uh, sensitive to that and now are really focused on ensuring that the stakeholders who are adjacent to and will be impacted by investments like the nickel plate construction um, and, and larger projects that are occurring throughout the, the BRT trajectory in Midtown uh, to ensuring that folks are engaged and part of it and that those projects inherently uh, employ more minority XBE vendors and contractors, that, that business owners have those opportunities, and that for all the market rate housing we're building, that we're being mindful of affordability and co-integrating that uh, into, into every project that occurs in our community. Oh, it is a, it is a challenging part of community development, working, working on the Mass Ave sector for a very long time. Um, our problem has flipped 180 degrees from not getting anyone to want to come down and live here to now not having affordable places to come down and, and live here. Right. It's a complicated challenge. Let's pivot a little bit to, uh, to mentorship. Who do you look to? Do you have a story of someone who has helped you to continue to grow as a leader, to see things more broadly, be better at coalition? And then how do you take those lessons and start talking to the, the next Michael who's graduating from IU this spring? Well, I think um, a lot of people have had a hand in helping me shape the person and the kind of leader that I am. Uh, and I think that uh, every aspect of what we do has is, is done, done in partnership with someone that uh, I've learned something from. Uh, Imhotep Adisa at the Kepper Institute and understanding the community wealth building model has probably been the most impactful on the way I work and the way that I lead. Um, and I, I don't know if he would know that I consider him a mentor, but I do consider him uh, in his organization and uh, everything they're doing has really enlightened my perspective on the work that we're doing uh, in a way that I don't think anything else that, that I could have experienced would have. Um, and it, it's caused me to think, um, you know, it's my obligation to ensure that others understand the lessons that I've learned. 
Um, and that, that I spend all of my leadership understanding, do you lead from the front? Do you lead from the back or do you lead from the middle and being willing to take all of those positions, uh, <laughs> as well as, uh, ensuring that the next generation, um, that, that I'm building the capacity of others, uh, not just growing my own organizational capacity, but, but building the capacity of Kepra and the MLK center and Coburn and all of the other stakeholders in our community. That's really, uh, our job is to help ensure that they're successful. Mm-hmm. As I've, um, as I've talked to, uh, community leaders, uh, the last three years haven't been the easiest in the history of community leadership or organizational leadership writ large. Um, what do you think about when you think about your own, your own wellness as a leader? How do you take care of yourself so that you can, how do you put your own oxygen mask on so you can help others? (laughs) I I have a menagerie of hobbies, uh, that keep me healthy, uh, uh, running, uh, I'm currently doing a 3000 up challenge in the month of November. Uh, so when we leave here, I have to go do 50 of those. Uh, and then I've, <laughs> I've embraced all things food. I've, I've launched on a, a culinary journey of cooking international foods that are, that are not familiar to me, uh, charcuterie, curing meat. And so, um, th- those are the things that keep me healthy. And then the, the things that, that keep me rich in my work is, is sitting in Tarkington park on movie night on October the 1st and sitting with kids painting pumpkins and, uh, seeing the, the things that we've helped to, to make possible, seeing them actually work, uh, seeing people utilizing them. Uh, the, the last two years, the Juneteenth celebration at Tarkington Park. Um, and so seeing the things that we have impacted actually positively impacting the lives of others are the reasons I do this work every, every day. Yeah, that is probably the best prescription for good mental health, right? Yeah. It says to be doing work that is uh, that is meaningful and, and being able to witness it. That's sure, awesome. Absolutely. So couple more questions, and I really appreciate you spending time. One of the things I ask everybody is, what are you reading right now? Or what have you read recently that you would recommend as required for anybody listening to this this podcast? Well, um, I, the, the book that stands out to me is Tangled Up in Blue, Policing the American City by Rosa Brooks. Um, understanding the impact of law enforcement in the communities that I serve and understanding uh, law enforcement uh, Rosa Brooks is a, a law professor uh, in, in Washington, D.C., and actually became a police officer uh, and understanding what navigating, you know, both f- f- the, from the community perspective and from uh, being inside of a police department, what it, what, what it means. And I think we could all, uh, given the times that we live in, um, un- benefit from understanding how the, the job that police officers have, uh, the needs of the communities they're serving and the dynamics that are occurring uh, in between those things. Yeah. That's a good one. We're going to write that down, Chad. (laughs) Um, All right. So one final question. Um, If you had um, one story for anybody listening that you wish they knew about Midtown, what what would you share? I think it would probably go back to that protest in the park. Um, That was really a pivotal moment for me. Um, Standing with 300 angry residents who were reacting to a team being displaced from the park during construction, while it wasn't our fault, we weren't the city, we didn't have the fence put up, Um, understanding our our culpability in that and not not running from that, but instead embracing those who, who most hated us at that particular <laughs> moment uh, and, the, and the journey that we've taken together to become very close friends uh, with, with those stakeholders and, and very close partners. Um, and that's, that's really who we are as an organization. Uh, we own our mistakes. We, we don't have all the answers, but that at the end of the day, we will, we will own the things, whether we did them or not, we're responsible. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that's, 
I think that is uh, attributable to the reason people trust us is because we, we have integrity. Uh, we, d- we don't have all the answers, but we certainly have the capacity to uplift other people um, in the ways that we have. And um, we're, we're here for them. Yeah. It's probably a good lesson for multiple people in multiple sectors. The angst doesn't have to be the end of the story. Right. Um, I think our, our greatest growth has come from conflict. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that the, the world tends to react so, so often to things uh, that we can't, we can't uh, proactively uh, make the right decision. We have to make a wrong decision. Uh, and then we have to sort of rewind and step back. And I think it's a healthy part of, of community development. Um, and it's, it's one that's played an important role in, in our organization. That's, that's excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Thank you. And thanks for sharing part of your day with me. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know you better, learning about the ways you're making Indianapolis stronger. You know, I love Midtown. I'm there all the time. That's where we live, work, and play as well. So thanks for letting our listeners hear about all the awesome things that you're doing. And to our listeners um, in Louisville and Indianapolis, come visit Midtown. Uh, Support local businesses, the projects, the organizations that make this an outstanding organization For more information and to plan your visit, go to midtownindy.org where you'll learn a lot and you'll find plenty of cool things to do. Join the how many million visitors? Three million. Join the three million visitors that come to Midtown each, each and every year. This has been Luminate, Navigating the Unknown through Creative Leadership. Thanks for listening and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be reminded of new episodes and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Schmidt Associates and at Schmidt underscore Associates on Twitter. 